Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with over 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and our guest today is Marcy McCurry. After graduating from George Washington University with a BA in American Literature and Political Science, Marcy pursued a career in the marketing field, holding executive positions in marketing communications and sales at various magazine publishing companies and content marketing agencies. Her debut novel, The Disappearance of Trudy Solomon, was a killer Nashville Silver Falchion 2022 finalist. That's an apple. <laughs> uh, the second book in the Ford Family Mystery series, The Murder of Madison Garcia, will be re- released March 2023. So that is right this minute. She has, Marcy has two daughters and two stepdaughters who live in Brooklyn, New York, Nashville, Tennessee, Madison, Wisconsin, and Seattle, Washington. She lives in Hull, Massachusetts with her husband, Lou. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you so much, Danielle, for having me on your program. It's Excited so fun to, to have you. I know. And Marcy and I have met a couple times at Thriller Fest and also at also at BachelorCon. Exactly. <laughs> so that's fun. Sometimes I'm talking to people I've never actually met in person, but I <laughs> I do. I know Marcy. So Marcy, um, there's, we're, it's kind of exciting because we get to talk about two books. Um, but let's start with, can you talk, tell um, our listeners a little bit about The Disappearance of Trudy Solomon? So The Disappearance of Trudy Solomon uh, takes place in the Catskill regions of New York, what was affectionately known as, or maybe derisively known as, the Borscht Belt. And it's actually a place where I spent my summers. My father was the activities director at the Brickman Hotel. And um, I mean, it's 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 it was a coming of age adventure for me. And I know I always wanted to set a story there. You know, I didn't want sort of like a dirty dancing or a marvelous right? Like that's how people think about the Borscht I love mystery. I grew up reading mystery. I am a mystery lover aficionado. So I knew I wanted it to be a mystery. And one day I read an article and the article was in the Boston Globe actually. And it was about a woman, a uh, a waitress from the from the Concord Hotel who went missing in the 1970s, and um, and then skeletal remains were found on the side of the road in you know a few years ago, and they figured okay it's, it's this woman, but when they did a social security check, they decided to kind of open up the case, and and somebody did a social security check, it pinged at a Alzheimer's facility in Lowell, Massachusetts. So the so the detectives went out there. And they were able to discern that it was this missing woman. Her name was Flora Stevens. And I thought to myself, um, okay, well, what happened to her in all those years? How did she get from being a waitress to ending up in an Alzheimer's facility? Where's, what happened? And who who do the bones belong to? The bones, who knows? There was no up on this story whatsoever. That is so interesting. Yeah, that's just it just got stuck in my brain. I think, of course. I, you know, there's a, the, the, the writer, Elizabeth Gilbert, she always says like, this is like, something gets stuck in your brain, like a little fairy and it just gnaws at you and gnaws at you. And I was like, there is a story here. Yeah. Why don't I just make up this story? You know, 
fill in the blanks of what happened in the last 40 years. And I think that because my father played such a large role in my coming of age and being in the Catskills and really understanding the area. Yeah. He's an expert. He's an expert. Um, I got the idea of a father-daughter detective team where the daughter is not a young woman. She's around my age. She's she's in her early 50s at the start of the series. Um, and her father is retired. So he's a retired detective. And wouldn't it be cool if there was a connection between the the case and you know and his connection to the area and his connection to who Trudy Solomon is and can kind of consult and help her and help her with the case. So that's how that came about. It was uh it was just a seed of a story from the Boston Globe. Right. Stuck in my head. I mean, stories, the seeds come from so many different places. So when you got the little muse, and I think Elizabeth Gilbert also says that if you don't sort of take hold of that muse, then she'll fly away and find somebody who will tell her story. So it's important also to sort of be like, okay, that's my story and I'm going to write it, um, which I think is so interesting. So tell us about the, you know, the main character, Susan Ford, you know, I'm curious about sort of how she came to you, you know, what about her appeals to you? Do you see yourself? I know you have a close relationship with your dad. So do you see yourself in Susan? Tell us a little bit about her. I don't know if I see myself in Susan. I wanted to make someone who was very contemplative, um, someone who um, had a more traumatic uh, upbringing. So you'll you see in the story, she's a very tumultuous relationship with her mother. So I just want to make that perfectly clear because my mom- That is not, right. That's not me. That, that woman is not my mother. My mother's not an alcoholic. Yes. So she had a very tumultuous relationship. So I really wanted to really look at the family dynamic of Susan, her father, someone who she did get along well with growing up and her mother who she did not. So it's really important that they had very distinct personalities. I would say Will maybe is a little bit like my father. He's a schmoozer. He gets, he likes to know everybody. He kind of thinks from his gut. So if I wanted to give them sort of like conflict and tension in the scenes, I needed the, the detective Susan Ford to be very different personality wise and how she approaches a case very different from her father who's like you know you know he's he's got his bitey senses and everything is from his gut and he's like you just have to trust your instincts and she's like no dad you have to follow the evidence so you kind of see them going at a case in a different kind of way and, and it evolves right. even further in in the second and I'm in the middle of editing the third book and it evolves even in another direction in the third book, because I didn't want their relationship to stay the same throughout right. the three books. Like there's this broad character arc with the three of them. Um, and then each story though is, it's a standalone murder mystery. You don't have to read The Disappearance of Judy Solomon to enjoy the murder of Madison Garcia, but there is a character arc that is being created right. across all three books. So did you know when you wrote, um you know, when you wrote The Disappearance of Trudy Solomon, did you know you, you were writing a series or did you finish the book and sort of think, okay, wait, there's more here? Okay, so I was not planning on writing a series and I actually had started a second novel, which explains why there's a year and a half difference between the, when, when one came out and then the other. I'd started another novel. I was well into another novel. Yeah. And that Publishers Weekly review came out that said an enticing series start. 
I'm like, wait, what? And I called the publisher was like, well, do you want to write a series? And I'm like, I was like, yeah, you know what? I actually have an idea in my head. Um, and I think I can get like, I think I can get going on it. So I took the other novel and I put it in the drawer. And um, I came up with this new idea for Madison Garcia and um, started writing. So yeah, so it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned at all. Can you tell us about Madison Garcia? I mean, not, I want to, you know, we might as well tell you here, since you've got two books for us already, um, as of this month, we might as well hear about the second story too. And, you know, what was, if there was a seed for Matt, for that story, it sounds like you had an idea from somewhere. I had an idea and it's, it's not as, it's not as interesting um, as the, as where I got the first idea from. It wasn't like some lightning strike and it wasn't based on like, oh, this is, this is fascinating. Um, I got a unknown call, call on my phone and it said, you know, it says unknown caller and it said Cleveland, Ohio or something like that. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm curious. I, I did a reverse, you could do a reverse lookup on white pages. I do a reverse lookup and I see some guy's name. And so I go to Facebook to look him up. I'm just curious. Is it somebody that I know? Right. I go and look him up and it's a pretty private page. It's pretty shut down. Like, like my page, like I have an author page and personal page. It's mm -hmm. it's very hard to get to my personal page. You'll see pictures, but that's about it. And I really couldn't discern who he was, right? So I was yeah. like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but then I was th thinking, what if? And this is what I do all the time. I do with every scene. I do it with when I'm just kind of brainstorming. I always say, what if? What if this happened? What if? What if Susan got that call? And what if that bot that whoever called her ended up dead the next morning. And if she took the call and if she figured it out, maybe that person would still be alive. I was like, right. okay, there's the inciting incident right there. Well, and, it is, and that is just how the writer brain works, right? It doesn't take much. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's all it takes is a little tiny seed of, and it's a great, what if it is, you know, especially when you, you know, then you t raise the stakes by the guy, the guy's dead and she feels some sort of, you know, connection. And she's also, why did he call me? And what did he want? And what would, you know, why didn't he leave a message? And what would he have said if, if I had gotten him on the phone? So that's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm a pantser. Like I'm a pantser. Okay, that, I was just going to yeah. ask about that. So tell us about your process. So I generally, in my head, I know the beginning mm -hmm. and I know the end. So I know who did it. Like I have to know that. I also have the character arc in my head. So I have the personal character arc, beginning and end, the plot, beginning and end. It might change, but then I just go. I just go and I think and you might know this too from your books because you write police procedurals, right? Police procedurals are logical. The, you find something out, you you turn over a stone and it leads you to the next clue. So right. it feels very natural to pants to some extent. So I, I can do and say, okay, she just found out this and that leads her to this suspect or this person or more right. information. And it feels very natural to actually... Right, without outlining, as long as I know where, sort of where I want to go. Um, and then I guess at the at the end is when I'll probably, is when I go back, I sort of do like a reverse outline, like after I write the story, then I outline. And Interesting. Then this way I think, yeah, I go back and I just feather in um, red herrings or breadcrumbs and uh, real clues and uh, subtext and you know, make sure it's all flowing correctly, but, um, so you I, kind of, 
how long is that initial draft for you? Like, is it, is it sort of, is it more skeletal? Like it's, it's, you know, 60,000 words or is it a full, you know, draft of the whole book? I aim for, I use the, the three act method, right? So I, I have to have in my mind sort of where the pinch points or the beats are. So I aim for like 75,000 words and I am writing subtext. I am writing deep dialogue and I am writing, I mean, I am writing as much as I can thinking about the beats um, over the 75,000 words. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think I probably like, this is, I mean, Right now, with the novel that I'm writing now, The Summer of Love and Death, which is the third installment, I got to 72,000 words and was finished, like the end. Then I got to 82,000, and now I'm back to 78. So, I mean, yeah. I, in the editing process, I'll go, I'll I'll then fill in, and then I'm like, okay, do I still have my beats? I mean, did my beats get all thrown off? And, do, and who do, I got to kill some, I generally... Do kill some darlings. Um, yeah, I stand. I, 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 I. It's so hard, right? Like, oh, I love this scene. This scene is so good. And then a day later, I'm like, well, if I thought, if I had even thought a little bit about the fact that it doesn't belong there, you know what? Probably doesn't belong there. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's hard to do, right? Create words and, and make them go away because they're so hard to come by. Um, so you know, people. I mean, I think you know. We have a lot of listeners who are obviously aspiring authors. Um, did you have, like when you were learning to do this, did you feel like there was a book or books that were really helpful or did you dissect books you'd art, that you loved? How did you teach yourself? That, that's a great question because I think a lot of my early learning was just reading. I mean, yeah. I just re read as a, a, a lot of mystery and suspense and thriller. So I think innately or intuitively, I should say, mm -hmm. have some idea of those beats. Like, I don't feel like, in, that's why I feel like I don't need to outline it. I, I do feel like I have some intuitive, you mm -hmm. know, when I'm writing a sort of, okay, no, this has to happen now. Like here's a, here's a right. list, right? So I'd say that was, that's sort of like just I think just reading a lot. Like I think yeah. it's important to read the genre that you want to write because right. you have to understand even if even understanding the tropes because understanding the tropes allows you to split the trope. It allows you to sort of think a different way of presenting it. Um, explain also, what you explain what you mean by that because I think that's a really valid point. And I'm not sure everybody were, that were, is listening understands what you mean by tropes and how you understand them and then can flip them. Um, so like, uh, you know, so, you know, a trope even in my book is you can even say that, you know, small town detective series has its series of tropes. You have these certain characters, right. you, might, you might have like, you always have like a, a clergy, you know, I don't know. Right. right. You always have these characters that, um, and these um, plot points that, you know, like a good one is in, in a cozy, a lot of times, you know, the, the, um, the, the person who gets killed opens the front door and says, oh, Great to see you, you know, and then you find out he's dead. So you know that that right, right. killer is somebody they, that that he knows, know. right? Exactly. So exactly. Like, how can you take some of these ideas that are pretty like like you see in a lot of Agatha Christie or Dorothy Sayers or you know, uh, P.D. James, um, and and kind of make them your own, and um, and that's sort of what I think about when I think about some of the the tropes that I use. I just want to make them somewhat original. Like somebody just sees them in a new light. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't, I don't want to give away too much, but I don't want to give any spoilers because a lot of yeah, it is fair. like how I, I use a trope and it actually, it's actually, it would turn out being a spoiler. So I can't do it. Exactly. But, I know. I think that's, I think it's kind of like, it's just, it's fun to talk about sort of those things that we, there's, we expect this like small town stereotype to, to play out in certain ways. And it's, it's fun when it does, but it's also fun when it doesn't. So right. you know, it's fun to, to take something that they readers expect Sometimes it's fun to meet their expectations and oftentimes it's also fun to sort of blow their expectations apart. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to, I want to go back to just, you know, Trudy again. I do because... want to say, wait, Danielle, can I just say one more thing? Because you yes. asked me like, what what else sort of helped me write. Oh, yes, my yes. Husband, my husband is a writer. He writes oh. literary fiction. I have some of his books up on my shelf. Oh, wow. Um, those books came out a while ago um, that he got a real job. You know, he was an editor of a magazine and it kind of took him out of writing. Yeah. He is phenomenal phenomenal writer and he reads my stuff and he will say Marcy you could do better Marcy this is a cliche you know he drives me to be a better writer he and he's an editor too I mean that's so rare he's a writer and he's an editor yeah Um, and so I do want to do a shout out to him because that's nice most of us would kill our husbands <laughs> if they said something like this is a cliche or you can do better we'd be like um you try this job so right, that's I lovely say this to him because he is he truly is a beautiful writer like yeah if you see something in my book that just sounds you know I, I, I don't know it just, it just sounds like so, th- that he knows he just knows he could push me he pushed he could push me to do yeah. it Say yeah. it better, write it better. That's, yeah. I mean, that, it's great to have, whether it's your husband or whomever, it's really important to have somebody who who knows what you're capable of and can say, ah, this isn't quite, this isn't quite up to snuff for you. Um, so one of the, the, you know, we talk about the story and, um, you know, it's about sort of a perfect family, right? That like, that when someone near them goes missing, you know, they sort of, they lose their shine of perfection. And I was curious to know if that, you know, what about that is interesting to you? Is there something appealing about the downfall of wealthy, of a wealthy family or why are we, I guess, you know, as a society, we're often interested in like how, you know, the well things go awry for the wealthy more than just when things go awry for regular folks. Yeah. So the Roth family in, um, in the, in the disappearance of Trudy Solomon, yeah. I, I really, I really enjoyed creating that family because they're like, they're the villains, right? And they're the family that presents itself as the perfect family. And that's how Susan saw them growing up. And there's Mm also, you know, Susan's young. So her perception of them is definitely that of a young person looking at a family that just seems to have their act together where Mm -hmm. her family is falling apart. You know, she, she's embarrassed about her family. She, um, she's, you know, her mother's an alcoholic and, and she's got this best friend, Lori, who seems to, you know, all the family gets along. But then when Trudy Solomon disappears and she has to go back as an adult and start peeking into their lives, well, you know, then, you know, she begins to see, oh, things weren't as rosy mm-hmm. as uh, she thought they were. And in fact, I mean, they were really quite awful. And What's really interesting too is you get the juxtaposition of her father, who was their contemporary at the time, and mm-hmm. even he felt um, that he was not on even footing with that family. That they were, 
you know, socioeconomically, they were, uh, uh, you know, higher, higher, you know, they, they were hotel owners. So, and he, right. was, he was a detective, he was a cop. And right. even in the area itself, there was definitely differences between the hotel owners, the hotel staff, and what sure. we call, yeah, the townies, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, so for Susan to all of a sudden, you know, really see what this family was about, I thought was a lot of fun. And, well, that, and I can make them villainous without without making them caricatures either. Right. Well, which I think is actually a really, it's such a true thing that happens to us, right? Our perception of things when we're a kid, whether it be of our own family or other families or, you know, it, things are very, they, they look, a, they can look a very certain way until we grow up old or become old enough or get enough insight to see the other sort of un, ugly underbelly. And I, I love that as a, you know, as a, it's uh, something to explore because I do think it's so everything is, you know, we're so, it's so relevant to our lives that we see things differently as we get older and as we understand more and nothing is really as perfect as it seems. Right. Right. And I wanted to bring that idea of family dysfunction it, it to all three books actually, but in, in the murder of Madison Garcia, it looks at it in a slightly different way. I mean, it's okay. a family, yeah. uh, different family dynamics in the murder of Madison Garcia, um, Vera has has uh, entered um, Alcoholics Anonymous. She's on mm-hmm. on a more even footing with um, Susan. So the family dynamic changes. Also, in the first book, her father was invited onto the case because he was familiar enough with it, and re- she really did need his help. In the murder of Madison Garcia he is not invited in the case and he figures out ways to come in. So the, the family dynamic changes for the Fords, whereas um, Susan is finding herself more in tune with her mother and trying yeah. to bring that relationship along. And she is really pissed at her dad. She, he's, he's meddling in a way that she finds, you know, that he's too close to um, Madison Garcia's family to, um, to really help him, to help her. Like she's afraid that that's like getting in the way. So the family dynamic changes up. Yeah. Which is so true of our, uh, of, you know, the way things work for us. It's like, you know, really, especially with our parents, right? It's so, the relationship's been in, you know, going on so long. It's, it's, there's so many layers to it. There's the child in us and the adult in us. And, you know, the, it's interesting to me that, you know, of course, Susan wants autonomy in her job, even though, her dad was also in the same job, right? And that's a, a another really interesting, ex, you know, relationship exploration. So I love that. Um, so tell us about the process for, you know, of your pu- publication. Was um, the disappearance of Trudy Solomon the first book you you ever wrote? I know a lot of us have books sort of no. in a drawer. So can you tell us about that and also about finding, a, you know, a publisher because you're, you know, it looks like you're working with a small press and people may not be as familiar with that experience. So that's sort of a multi question question. Okay. So um, I do have my, what I, I know a lot of people refer to them as their practice books. Yeah. So my practice book was a book called The Deeper You Dig. And it's actually, um, it's, it's a, Three point of view, a coming of age is one story, um, and then two adult females. And it takes place here in my hometown of Hull. Um, and I wrote it over like 
I don't know, like a three year period, mainly like whenever I was laid off. I, th I think I started it when I was laid off from a job and then continued writing it over weekends. Um, I just because I really enjoyed doing it and I wanted to see if I could do it. Right. Right. 75,000 cogent words that make an interesting story. And I remember reading Stephen King's On Writing. So you asked me, mm -hmm. like, what was it? That one I really liked. I mean, I've read me a lot too. Of that one really stuck with me on sort of discipline, like maybe not on the the actual writing itself, but the discipline of writing. And, and I really, that, that really stuck with me. And anyway, so I wrote that book and then, um, then COVID hit and the book was actually done. Like I was going to just like give it to friends and family or whatever, but my lovely children said, ma, what if you die? What if you die from COVID? I'm like, what? Nice. Thank you. Children. Lovely. You need legacy. You need legacy, right? I'm like, they're like, don't publish it. Everybody's always, what's the big deal? You know, you're old. Whatever. I'm like, oh my God. That's so lovely. Children love us in the best way, totally, don't they? Right? But they they encouraged me to do it. And you know what? It was fun. I love I loved the experience of it. And my friends and family got to hold a, a book. Yeah. My mom used to tell people that, you know, I had a book, whatever. But at that time, I was also seriously thinking about writing a mystery, something that I really, and that's when I saw the this the the article and I was like, no, mm -hmm. I I want to write a book and I want to write a book that I think is marketable it, for a broad marketable book. Um, so I wrote um, The Disappearance of Judy Solomon with that goal in mind, where I wasn't, you know, the deeper you dig, I don't even, I don't even think I thought about getting it published. I, mean, I might've reached out to a few agents, but I wasn't, it wasn't sort of- It was for head. you. It was more for you. It was to see if I could do it. And then my, yeah. my like, and it's up there. I mean, it's on Amazon. If yeah. anybody wanted it, it's not, it's, I mean, it's, it's a sequence and lies book as, a, as opposed to a mystery, but yeah. Um, so, so I, yeah, so I mean, I wrote Trudy Solomon and I started reaching out to agents and um, and then noticed that small press will take unagented manuscripts. So yes. at the same time I was reaching out to agents, I was reaching out to small presses and Cam Cat was interested. And um, I talked to uh, the editor there who would be the editor for my books. Her name is Helga. And she just really got the book. She got the heart of the book, um, understood sort of, especially because this, the, yeah, there's the mystery, but I think what's really, um, what's really near and dear in, in my, in my, you know, to me in these books are the, are the subplots, are the subplots of the family, the subplots. The relationships. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the relationships and what's going on underneath the surface of the mystery. And mm -hmm. that's what she focused on. And I was like, this is, I, she really got, and she says, I can really, you know, we can really work on this book. And, um, and so I went with, I went with them. I didn't, you know, I thought, you know, maybe it has to do with my age. I, maybe if I was 30 years younger, I would have held out for an agent and the big five. And, but I, I, I really enjoyed my conversations with yeah. Camcat. I really felt like, and I was, and I came on with them when they were just really just starting out. They are now, mm -hmm. I think they're publishing like 30 books a year. They really wow. offer so much marketing support. Um, I really like what they're doing. So, you know, if anybody is out there and thinking about a small press again, you know, I, it is an avenue to go. It's, yeah. you know, it, 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 it you know, it's, it's, for me, it, it felt right at the time and it still feels really right. So I'm happy. Um, Good. You know, so and I think, I, I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, that you can go that, and it's, it's, 
it's interesting that sometimes it feels like it's harder to get an agent than it is to sell a book. Like, I think, it, you know, there's it, so many gates in front of us for, you know, for agents and agents, you know, it's such a gamble for them that oftentimes they, you know, they don't necessarily take people on unless they sort of feel like it's a sure thing. So I think it's, um, I think it's a lovely, you know, and if they, and if they're doing a good job in marketing support, well, then that's, that is all that, you know, all the more power to you. Marketing. I'm not from, yeah. Yeah distribution, um, you yeah. know, they're with OPG, which is, you know, so it gets me everywhere. Um, they yeah. have, um, they, they have a few of their books now, um, with movie, right. People, I mean, they really are trying to drive the books in a way, maybe they're on a smaller scale than the big five, but you still yeah. feel like, um, you know, it's, it, it, for me, it feels like a good place to be. I'm not saying it's for everyone. I, I, there are people who really want the agent, really want the big five, really want that that massive support, and and you know if that if my book went that way, I think I would have been totally happy with that as well. Yeah, but this, this is working for me. So yeah, so well, it's so great. And you got, I mean, like you said, that I mean, one of the hardest things to do, I think, is to get the you know the attention of trade publications. And you got a beautiful Publishers Weekly quote. So I mean, that's. You know that shows that Com, uh, Comcat's Camcat's doing something right, so that's really yeah. exciting because they, it's a like you said in this enticing series launch, more than one twist will catch the reader by surprise, and that's from Publishers Weekly, which is you know the big, it's a big big deal. So that's that, awesome. I felt really good um, at the time, and even you know going to you know writers who are interested. I mean, I think one of the best investment that I made last year and will be doing this year is going to those conferences where we met at BoucherCon is meeting other authors. Yeah. Me, that was everything. And, and, and I mean, even being on a panel, talking to readers, talking to other authors, yep. to me, that was everything. That was the icing on the cake. My Trudy Solomon came out during COVID at the height, you know, yeah. during that, um, I couldn't do a book tour. I couldn't I know. do you know, I kind of feel like the Murder of Madison Garcia is my real book launch, is my coming out because- Yeah, so are you going to be, yeah, are you going, uh, do you have a um, some, you know, in-person events happening? I do. So um, I will be at the Mysterious Bookshop in New York City on launch day, March 28th. So I am fun. so excited. Like that is a dream come true. Yeah. Uh, I went in there early November with my daughter and met with Ryan, uh, you know, who yeah. runs the bookshop and had a lovely conversation with him. And I, I think if you give yourself enough time is November all the way to March. Um, I was able to secure um, a book event there. So fun. So, fun. so I can't wait. So, and I'll be doing a book event at my local indie store, which is called Buttonwood Books and Toys uh, on April 4th. I'm going to Madison, Wisconsin, um, where my stepdaughter lives, um, mm -hmm. to do an event there at Mystery to Me. Again, again it's somebody that I met at um, BoucherCon. She was the store owner. Uh, so again, it's so like, fun. Right? That it's it's just a really great way, place to make yeah. connections. Yeah. So Plus, really I think authors are really generous. Booksellers are generous. Everybody's sort of, you know, there is this sort of like everybody supports, our, you know, everybody because it's none of us is writing enough books to satisfy all readers, right? <laughs> so everybody is like, you know, it's every, you know, every book is, you know, for somebody new and readers, I mean, they read hundreds of books a year. It's amazing. So 
I think it's wonderful to find, to make those connections. Yeah. I mean, even like, I've read a number of your books, Danielle, and oh, thank you. I get, I, I, I read yours and I'm like, you are dark. <laughs> ah. And I'm yes. like, but I would love to, you have such a gritty stuff. Like I love your style of writing you. and yours, thank yours you. is the darker police procedurals, almost like Tracy Clark. Like there was like, I like, but I, you're also sort of small town. The mm -hmm. setting is everything. The weather is everything. Um, and you've got these wonderful point of views from these, from strong, likable, relatable, um, Thank protagonist, you. right? Thank so you. you're, you know, you're my, you're a go-to, but like, I cannot wait until close up comes out. Thank was, you. Oh, close, close. And I was like, and I was like, I, I mean, I just, I really, really love smart police procedurals. Tessa Weger, somebody that I had met. At yes. Of, yes. Right. I love Hashana Merchant. It's the same idea. Um, one of my yeah. favorite, favorite police procedural series is um, the Man in Bradshaw series by, um, oh God, I'm blanking out her name. She actually, she died last year or oh, two God. years ago. Yeah. And the, it was a brilliant, brilliant UK uh, police procedural. I think you would like it, Danielle, because it's- Yeah, you have to. You have to. I'll send you the information on her. Yeah. I'm, oh, Susie Steiner. Her name is Susie Steiner. Okay, I don't know she her. She wrote three, uh, three police procedurals with the protagonist is a woman named Manon Bradshaw. And I fell in love with those books. I think that series was really sort of the, the catalyst for me to write. Mm -hmm. Like I, I want to write a, a book with a strong female protagonist. Yeah, like yeah. Gerard, like Tessa Weger. I want to do love that. It. Well, you've done it. I love that, Marcy. Well, so this is, book is coming out on the 28th. And so tell us um, where, what, first of all, where to find you online? Like, you know, if they, Instagram, people like to, we always, everywhere, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and then I want to ask one everywhere. more question. I'm mostly on, on Instagram. I love yeah. Instagram. I find Instagram is sort of like, um, very laid back, you can do nice, you know, artistic stuff. I'm not on Twitter as much as I should be. I just don't know mm -hmm. how anybody like, I think you have to be there a lot to sort of have some sort of traction there. I'm not really, I, I tweet once in a while, but I'm not really, I am trying to do TikTok. I am really trying to do TikTok, but that I means that means having to put makeup on. That means having to come up with an idea. That means having to, right. I mean, it just, it's so, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. But, I, um, I feel like it's also I'm all I'm in my early 50s and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Am I too old? I feel like it might be too, too old for TikTok. So I don't know. But I I know it's a thing. There's it's a thing. some authors who do it so well. Geneva I Rose. I, I just want to crack that her. woman is. I, yeah, she is a force of nature. I cannot do what she does. No, but it, you know, it's so on brand. It, she is so good at it with the deadpan and the I know. I, I don't, I just couldn't do, I would love to do it. Yeah. I, and I'm an, I'm an extroverted person and I can't even do it. Like yeah. I just put myself out there. It's hard. People. That's, that's another thing that authors really have to do. And I am not an extroverted person though. I'm a very, per, you know, I'm a very gregarious introvert, but I'm not an extrovert. So all of these things for me are, are, you know, they're, they're, they take a lot of energy and they're totally intimidating. So it's interesting 
But yes, it's part of the business. And, you know, I think the message is, of course, we want to meet people who are reading, you know, reading books like ours or ours and people who are writing books like ours. Um, because it's so, you know, it's just such a, there's so little connection when you're actually writing a book, right? Because you right. are by yourself. It's very. Yeah, I mean, I have to split up my day. I really have to think about my day. I write in the morning because I'm a morning person. So I'm just mm -hmm. going to be a little bit more brilliant, a little bit more on. Sharper, of course. The and then in the afternoon, I think about marketing. So I put my yeah. hat on. I think, what yeah, do I And you have experience, assets? so. Yes, exactly. So what assets do I need to produce? What's the timing on all of this? You know, wow. how do I, you know, when do I put these in? And I actually look at what other authors do, or I speak to, you know, professionals or, or watch, watch YouTube videos that tell me like how to place an ad on Amazon, right? Like, so yeah. I mean, there, 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 the marketing, you know, the marketing aspect of it is, I don't, I'm not, it's not horrible to me. I can, I can sit down and spend some hours and sort of bang out what I need to do, but I do right. love mornings are dedicated yeah. to writing. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely like the writing part better than the business part, but of course they're both, you know, it's just part of it. All of it's part of it. So, okay. So you told us briefly about the book, the third book that you're working on, but can you tell us again, uh, you had a title that sounded like, and when that one might be available. Okay, so the title is The Summer of Love and Death. Okay. And the premise of the story is that Susan Ford is investigating a contemporary murder in a summer stock theater that is similarly, is eerily similar to her father's first case as a detective in 1969. And, right. and it takes place in the Catskills right down the road from Yasger's Farm, which was the Woodstock Festival. So now in the third book, I actually, he actually has a point of view and the, and the in-between chapters is him in 1969, as he tries to remember his case to help her with her case, because the two mm -hmm. cases, what his was a serial murder case. And all of a sudden here's a copycat, but the, all these years the, later, yeah. 50 years later, the guy is dead. Um, and who, like who is reenacting right. these, right. these murders? So, um, and in the summer of love and death, there's there's, there's also aspects of it that um, you know harken back to what it means to for love and what it you know and how death plays into sort of that family dynamic. So yeah. again, the family sw switches off a little bit and sort of like you know where where things are going and. And a lot of the, I mean, over the course of the book, I mean, these books are about forgiveness and redemption, mm -hmm. um, especially Vera. Vera is my favorite character. She's yeah, she's mother. And this, yeah, she has a lot to feel like redeem for, right? I mean, that's the. Without and how hard is, yeah, <laughs> how hard is it to be a mom? Like that's the thing, right? It's a tricky business to, uh, you know, moms. It's a tricky business to be a mom. So yeah, I like I'm, her too. I, it's so funny because in the, in the third book, I, I, I actually, she had a very small role when I finished the first draft, when I finished drafting it. And uh, my editor said to me, like, where, where's Vera? Like, where's right. Vera? We and need like, more I, Vera. I walked away from it. And I was like, you know what? I have an idea for Vera. I have an idea about how this is, how this three book series is going to sort of end up like where where Vera ends up with Susan so that's so exciting uh, and then yes. do you think you'll go back to the book you were working on when you started when you started book two no 
Isn't that funny? So I, Interesting. I went, I went back to it. I was about, I would say it was about four chapters in, right? So, mm-hmm. and I read it and I was like, I don't know. I, I just, I couldn't bring myself back. And I had this other idea in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I got to do this other idea. So no, I, I, I might turn that other thing into a short story. Actually, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of like a little, from, I want to do something a little bit more, more serious. I think again, <laughs> reading your stuff, Danielle, I was like, I'd really like to try something a little bit. A lot of people say that my books fall somewhere between, um, you know, like cozy and, and crime fiction. Like I'm, I'm I'm straddling somehow those two things, right? Um, I'd like to sort of move more into a, a crime fiction, um, mm-hmm. just to see if I can write a little bit more darker and grittier because the, I love those books. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of humor in my books. Like there's like a lot of people say, yeah. there's some really funny lines. You know, you're really funny. And I was like, yeah, I think my books are there's no, there's no outward gore. There's no, like, you don't really see all that stuff. Right. Uh, it's in the background. Um, so I want to try something. But else. Maybe in the future, there'll be, it'll be more in the foreground. I love that. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got so much going on and it's all so, it's just super exciting. So, um, you know, we know where to find you. We're so excited. This actually, our podcast will come out on March 23rd. So a few days before your second book launches, which will give people a chance to, you know, pick up um, The Disappearance of Trudy. It's probably how I like this. The Disappearance of Trudy Solomon. Uh, it's always, you know, I look at my, the computer and it's like weird right. for me. It's very <laughs> confusing. I'm not smart enough to do that. Anyways, um, so they can read the, tr- the disappearance of Trudy Solomon before the murder of Madison Garcia gets out. So this was so fun. Um, and I'm really excited, Marcy. I look forward to seeing you um, at the next conference and I hope the books do incredibly well. Thank you so much, Danielle. It was so much fun being um, on killer women. I like to think Yay. that I am one of them. Of course <laughs> you are an official killer woman. So this has been killer women with our guest, Marcy McCreary, and I am Danielle Gerard, and we will see you next time. Bye.